I love stories. Heroes go on adventures in other worlds. Defiant, surmountable odds. Stories are like a living thing. My father, he wrote me. Said we have a secret legacy, a birthright that's been kept from us in Lovecraft country. Bad place. It's not real. You sure? They don't like outsiders at all. I found more than a few stories about travelers being attacked in the surrounding woods. By what? I know we were all meant to go through trials and tribulations. This world is haunting us. American dream. Depends on the question, what is reality? What is reality? Welcome to the Carefree Black Nerd Podcast, a conversation about representation in comics and related media. I am your host, Rain Coleman, and today we're covering uh, something a little bit different. We're going to do a guide to a, you know, a little show that might be coming out, you know what I'm saying? Lovecraft Country. All right, y'all, so we're going to do this guide to Lovecraft Country because this has been weighing on my mind for a while. Um, So without too much explanation, we'll just jump right into it. But while you're listening to this episode, please make sure to use that hashtag CBNPod and kind of be on the lookout for a few more hashtags that will pop up over the course of the episode. And of course, hit me up on Twitter, CarefreeBlur. That is the most immediate way to get in touch with me. And, uh, of course, email carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com if you so choose. If you have any questions, comments, opinions, or you want to have something, maybe a soundbite featured on the future episode or something you want to discuss, you know, put a little, a little voice memo or something there, and then we'll see about getting that on the show. Okay, so diving right in. Lovecraft Country is an upcoming American drama horror television series developed by one Miss Misha Green based on the 2016 novel of the very same name by Matt Ruff. It is set to premiere on August 16, 2020 on HBO. The series is produced by Monkey Paw Productions, Bad Robot Productions, and Warner Brothers Television with executive producers including Jordan Peele, Green, of course, J.J. Abrams, and Ben Stephenson. Stephenson? Stephenson. The story is about a young African-American who travels across the 1950s segregated United States in search of his missing father. Yo. So, I first learned about this show through uh, trailers. It, like, some time ago, like a few months ago, I want to say. And... Oh God! It's so so. Y'all know with the state of the world, pandemic and all that, and shit, life just going on and things changing. Like you know, pretty much the timeline is being reset, and we have a new normal. A lot of stuff is kind of jumbled together for me, and the timeline of me discovering this show is kind of 
off a bit. So the trailers I put as my definitive knowing about the show, but I feel like I've heard rumors and talks of this much sooner. But when that when I saw those first two trailers, I was freaking hooked. I was set all it. I was ready to go, ready to go. So uh so that's where my, my interest was peaked. And I did a little bit more thinking and and, and and deep diving and learning and whatnot. So um I picked up the book. I ordered the book, guys, because I was like, okay, if it's based off the book, we got a lot of black, melanated, beautiful faces in the trailer. Let me see what's you know, what this hidden for. So the book, after I ordered it, it says that Lovecraft Country follows Atticus Black as he joins up with his friend Leticia Leti 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 Tia, Letty, <laughs> and his uncle George to embark on a road trip across 1950s Jim Crow America in search of his missing father. This begins a struggle to survive and overcome both the racist terrors of white America and the terrifying monsters that could be ripped from a Lovecraft paperback. So y'all, reading through this book, I'm like 75% of the way done at the time of this recording. I really enjoy the book. I started off trying to listen to the audiobook just to kind of give myself a bit more options. The voice actor... Um, he did a great job, but I just couldn't get with the voice. It 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 bothered me. And again, this is no nothing against that man. Um, um, whatever. This isn't you know bashing him. It's just for me and my personal taste. I couldn't either. I couldn't get into it, or the clip wasn't long enough. Uh, either way, I opted to get the book, started reading through it, loved it. So the funny thing about the book is be because I've gotten so far and then going back and referencing the trailers, it seems as if the content for the show, based off what I see in the trailer, again, this is all speculation at the time of this recording, I have not seen the show, but it seems as if the whole first season or a good chunk of it might only deal with like the first little bit of the book. Like it is so jam-packed with stories and content that once I got past what I saw um, as things that went on in the trailer, I was like, so, <laughs> so there's that. That's something to look forward to. Now, before getting into the details of the show, we have to discuss the behind the scenes crew, which is stacked. Megan the Stallion stacked. So uh, on May 16, 2017, it was announced that HBO had given a series order for the Lovecraft Country series. Um, executive producers are, of course, Misha Green, Jordan Peele, J.J. Abrams, and Ben Stevenson. Now, additionally, Misha serves as the series showrunner, and she also wrote the pilot episode, which is like, okay, come on, black woman, doing the motherfucking thing. So Misha Green, of course, like I said, is a black woman, an American television writer and producer. Now, I'm seeing here that she's best known uh, for her executive producer work on the historical drama, The Underground. Now, I had not watched Underground. For me, at that time in my life, I was just tired of seeing the slave narrative the slave story not to say that it isn't good because i heard nothing but great rave reviews and i enjoyed the images that i saw from the show but i never watched it i just it just wasn't for me now i may double back and you know look at it a few episodes here and there i did watch a few scenes and the one that stands out to me was one that focused on religion and I thought it was handled really well. Um, so kudos to her. So everyone who's listening, if you are someone who has watched Underground, give me your opinions. Use the hashtag um, CBN pod and let me know if you liked it, if you didn't like it. You know, what are the reasons? Is it something that I should definitely check out and get into? Uh, you know, what do you think? So let me know. 
leave a comment in the comments or hit me up on Twitter, Carefree Blurred, CBN Pod. So, Misha has also uh, previously been a staff writer for Heroes and Sons of Anarchy and also a producer for Helix. Now, Helix is something I've never seen. Heroes and Sons of Anarchy, of course. Heroes, yo. Heroes, regardless to how you feel about it, I think it falls into that realm of the 4400, like those early 2000 shows that had a particular look. The budget was a bit low, honestly, and a lot of shows came out around that time, and Heroes, for me, was one that really stood out. If she was attached to Heroes, then I'm definitely in, Um, period. So, in a period, poo. <laughs> now, in 2016, together with her fellow Heroes alumni, Joe Pekoski, I believe I said that right, Misha created Underground, which was a period drama about the Underground Railroad that took place in the antebellum South. So, that alone, though my feel, my feelings about Underground and Slave narratives still standing, the fact that this story is in this antebellum South, it seems to be a very smooth transition into this Jim Crow fantasy horror realm so again though i haven't seen underground i still feel like if this is your background so you have the supernatural heroes of it all and then you also have this highly lauded um underground antebellum slave south race charge show on paper all this looks good you know so kudos to her um so of course it took took place in the south and it bordered on free states of the north, uh, whatever. So the first season, of course, premiered on WGN America. And that was on March 9th of 2016. The show received overwhelmingly positive critical responses. Which, again, taking a couple steps back, nothing to knock Miss Green. But I wonder if it's not only that it was an expertly done show. Or if it's like, this is where people are comfortable seeing black people in these narratives because you it's like you fighting tooth and nail to get us in outer space and in a post-apocalyptic area but when it comes to a slave narrative oh yeah we quick to get folks in 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 those projects but whatever so excuse me so moving on so that premiere now it was confirmed in may of the same year that misha would be writing a supernatural horror show lovecraft country which will be produced by Get Out director and writer Jordan Peele, based off the novel of the same name. Now, next up in the behind-the-scenes crew, we got Jordan Hayward Peele, born February 21st of 1979, which, okay, whatever. <laughs> now, Jordan Peele, for those of you who don't know, first of all, shame on you. Secondly, he is an American actor, black man, well, biracial, but black man. Uh, comedian, writer, director, and producer. He's best known for his television and film work in the comedy and now horror genres. Now, his breakout role, for those of you who may not know him uh, prior to Get Out, came in 2003 when he was hired as a cast member on the comedy sketch series Mad TV. Now, I remember, I have vivid memories of seeing him on Mad TV. I was very much one of those folks who stayed up and watched Saturday Night Live and Mad TV and kind of clicked back and forth between the two. And I remember him. I remember him clear as day. Um, so it doesn't even feel like 2003 was that long ago. But he was on Mad TV. He spent five seasons there. He left the show in 2008. Um, following that, he had he was a collaborator on Mad TV. And then with Keegan-Michael Key, they created their own comedy ser comedy central sketch comedy show, Key and Peele. So, of course, some of you may know him from there. Now, that was in 2012 to 2015. 
I want to say, and those of you out there who know the answer definitively, let me know, CBN Pod. I want to say Key and Peele came right after or on the heels of uh, the Chappelle show ending. I think I didn't look up that time frame, but somebody let me know uh, in the comments or on Twitter, Carefree Blurred, CBN Pod. Uh, so, yeah. So they created and started in their own little sketch comedy show, which was cool. Now, in 2014, they appeared together as FBI agents in the first season of FX's Fargo. Fargo was another show that I remember watching. I don't remember anything from Fargo. I remember I did, maybe not on a weekly basis, but I sat down and watched that show at least three or four episodes at the very least. And I don't remember anything that happened, anything that happened in that goddamn show. Now... He, um, uh, Peele, excuse me, also co-created the TBS comedy series, The Last OG. Again, something that I've seen trailers on. Okay, guys, look, a lot of this stuff I've seen, I have a tangential relationship. I'm kind of close to it. I've seen a bit. A lot of it I have not. Do not judge me, because I feel like some of y'all at this point are rolling your eyes like, nigga, you didn't watch all this. You talking all this shit, you ain't seen none of this stuff. (laughs) <laughs> so, with that out the way, The Last OG, not something I was ever interested in. Um, he also did Weird City, which is a YouTube comedy series. And he's also served as a host and producer of the CBS All Access revival of The Twilight Zone. I remember when he was doing that, that was such a big kind of fuss that people had about Twilight Zone not being what it used to be. And how he taking over and blah, blah, whatever. You know, the usual critiques. Now, uh, Peel and Key also wrote and produced and starred in Keanu, which is a 2016 uh, movie. Um, uh, Peel also voice acted in Storks, 2016. Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, 2017. Toy Story 4, back in 2019. Pretty much, he has the chops. He's been doing a lot in a lot of different genres. So... Um, he received uh, an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture for producing Spike Lee's Black Klansman. He directed, wrote, and produced the acclaimed horror film Us 2019. So again, regardless of how you feel about his projects, if you like them or not, the resume is there. Then we have Jeffrey Jacob Abrams, J.J. Abrams. Um, he's born in uh, June 27th of 66. Cancer, yay, yay. <laughs> he's an American filmmaker. He's known for his work in uh, um, different genres of action and drama, science fiction, of course. He wrote and produced films like Regarding Henry, Forever Young, Armageddon, Cloverfield, Star Trek, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Rise of Skywalker. So again, another person added to the behind-the-scenes behind the scenes team who has their shit together. The resume matches the show. And last but not motherfucking least, we got the man who started it all, Matthew Theron Ruff. Now, this guy, um, he's a Queens, a New York native. Queens is where he was born or lived. Um, American author of science fiction, uh, comic novels, and thrillers. Now, that's the behind the scenes creative team at this point. To me, again, resumes alone, this is a show that I feel like, okay, even if it was full of white people, and I say that because y'all know representation is the hill that I die on, even if it, the whole cast was nothing but a bunch of white folks, I still would be for it. Like, look at this. Like, it would be something that would spark my interest. Um, of course, it's a bunch of black folks, so there's that. Now, production companies involved with the series, uh, Monkey Paw, Bad Robot, uh, Warner Brothers Television, and Peel originally brought the project to Bad Robot, and then had Green come on to help develop the show. So that, like, 
again, the we ain't even got to the content. It's just the 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 bells and whistles that got me <laughs> going. So also on March fifth of two thousand eighteen, to kind of continue with that timeline, it was announced that Jan mm, Dammer Dammerji, I think I'm saying that right, Dimmer. Demerang, D-E-M-A-N-G-E. Let me know if I said that right. That this person would direct and executive produce the pilot episode. So again, a stacked cast. Ah, okay, so Lovecraft Country is a novel of Jim Crow America. It mills historical fiction, pulp noir, and Lovecraftian horror and fantasy. So Chicago, 1954. Wait, <clears throat> let me take the back. Picture it, Sicily, 1960. <laughs> all right, y'all, all right, y'all, for real. Chicago, 1954. <clears throat> when his father goes missing, 22-year-old Army veteran Atticus Turner embarks on a road trip to New England to find him. Accompanied by his uncle, George, publisher of the Safe Negro Travel Guide, and his childhood friend, Letitia, Letty, Letty? <laughs> on their journey to the manor of Samuel Braithwaite, heir to the estate that owned one of Atticus's ancestors. They encounter both the mundane terrors of white America and malevolent spirits that seem straight out of a weird tale George devours. Atticus discovers his father in chains, held prisoner by a secret cabal, the Order of the Ancient Dawn, led by Braithwaite and his son Caleb, which have gathered to perform a ritual that shockingly centers on Atticus. One of his hopes of salvation may be his seed of his and this whole Turner's clan's destruction. A chemical blend of magic, power, hope, and freedom that stretches across time, touching diverse members of two black families, Lovecraft Country is a devastating, kaleidoscopic portrait of racism, the terrifying specter that still haunts us today. Now, what's the big motherfucking deal over this Lovecraft guy? Well, I'm not ashamed to admit that I was not aware of what a Lovecraft was until a few years ago. Now, I would hear the name as a descriptor of like certain books and stories. Now, the most recent one for me was Lock and Key. Uh, that was a comic book series that turned into a Netflix show. Um, some of you, really all of you, should be aware um, of the show. If not, kind of look that up. Google it a little bit. Maybe look at the... Um, uh, like an episode or two and then see you know what you think but that is described as a Lovecraftian type story now Lovecraft the writer is doted as an amazing storyteller with vivid imagination and great description a man who was able to transport you to another world by putting pen to the page now as great as he was at storytelling Howard Philip Lovecraft being born back in the 1890s was every bit of American incarnate. So, several media outlets published articles discussing H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's legacy as a horror fiction writer, with many outlets um, in the 2010s discussing and criticizing his racism and homophobia, which is, again, like I said, American incarnate. Like, there's no <sighs> separating the two. Now, public books connected Lovecraft's upbringing in Providence to racism, homophobia, misogyny, and general patriotism, excuse me, uh, found in his personal beliefs and work calling it unquestionably rooted in places, aesthetics, and idiosyncrasies, sense of local culture. The African-American fantasy writer N.K. Jemison, I hope I said that right, J-E-M-I-S-I-N, considers Lovecraft's racial attitudes essential to his literary world. 
quoted as saying his bison his bison his biases were the basis of his horror and that's something that i don't know if i'm able to unpack fully or even in the right way um but lovecraft and his thoughts and ideas are they i think they do fuel a lot uh well pretty much everything that that you see these horrors like it's one of those things where it's like separating the artists from the art and the terrible things that they've done but at this point you can't um that's not really something that we can do because his work comes from his ideals so yeah these monsters are horrible and terrifying and they probably can fit in like multiple stories but being that he was a homophobic racist in the 1800s that's I don't know. I don't know. So, if you have thoughts on Lovecraft, let me know what they are. Use that hashtag CBNPod or use, leave a comment below and let me know. Talk to me. Let me know. Because I, Lovecraft, for me, I'm, I'm relatively new to him. Um, for those of you who maybe studied a bit more, learned about him earlier or whatever, let me know your thoughts. Um, you know, what stories are just damn near terrible, how horrible he was. If you like his work or you're like conflicted with liking his work whatever let me know i you know put me on and let's make this a discussion now um he does some what is it there's it it said he does some incredible imagery it's powerful work but it's frightening because it is a way to look into the mind of a true bigot and realize just how alien their thinking is just how disturbing their ability to dehumanize their fellow human being is after the World Fantasy Award dropped their connection to Lovecraft, The Atlantic commented that in the end, Lovecraft still wins. People who've never read a page of his work will still know who the Cthulhu is for years to come, and his legacy lives on in the work of Stephen King, Guillermo del Toro, I, I always mess up on that name, and Neil Gaiman. Um, I'd say his work is bound to have so many more eyes on it when this HBO series finally drops. I mean, look at yours truly. I had to look up information about the man and his work to make this a kind of well-rounded and more informative episode on my own show. So going forward, like his name lives on. It's unfortunate, but it's that's the case of a lot of things. And I'm excited at the show that's come out of all this, but it's like, ugh, there's here's where we are. You know, uh, race is the most controversial aspect of uh, Lovecraft's legacy, and this was expressed in many kind of disparaging, not kind of many very disparaging remarks against um, many many groups of people, non-Anglo-Saxons, races and cultures. And he did this in his work explicitly. Now, as he grew older, his original Anglo-Saxon racial worldview softened to a more classism or elitism, which regarded the um, excuse me, the quote-unquote superior race to include all of those self-ennobled through high culture. Uh, from the start, Lovecraft did not hold all white people in high regard, like collectively, but rather more esteem for the English people and those of English descent. He praised those uh, non-waspy groups such as Hispanics and Jews. However, his very private writings on groups such as Irish Catholics, German immigrants, and African Americans were always negative, which is like, ugh, go figure. Now, in an early poem uh, back from 1912 titled On the Creation of Niggers, 
Uh, Lovecraft describes black people not as humans, but as beasts. In semi-human figure with field vice. In his early published essays, private letters, personal stories, he argued for a strong color line to preserve race and culture. Now, a lot of this is really dark, and I think this may be a bit triggering for some. I do apologize. I'll probably try to put a warning at the beginning of the episode, but I think it's very important to know the critiques and um, some of the problems with Lovecraft considering it is addressed in the book and i imagine it will also be addressed in the show um but yeah so that that's that so he argued for this strong color line to preserve race and culture which is again so american he made these arguments by direct disparagement of various races in his journalism and in his letters uh and his fiction concerning non-human races Lovecraft showed sympathy to those who adopted the Western culture, even to the extent of marrying a Jewish woman whom he viewed as well assimilated. So for me, that translates to, oh, you're one of the good ones. You're one of the good blacks, one of the good Jews, one of the good um, persecuted or minority uh, uh, individuals of that minority. And it's like, oh, God, this is so disgusting. Uh, But this is the well that they've pulled from from this book. And I don't know, I guess that's the silver lining. Now, Lovecraft's racial attitude was common in the society of his day. So, of course, he's a product of his time. They don't make it better, Um, especially in the New England in which he grew up. My views on H.P. Hewler Packard, no, (laughs) H.P. Lovecraft, is I find him to be honestly, utterly disgusting. Everything that I've discovered, everything I've read, everything that has come out of like his... Everything I've already said in the last like minute or so and everything that I've learned about him is just terrible. But what I do love is that Matt Ruff's novel doesn't stray away from those views. Now, he addresses a lot of this stuff head on and pretty early in the book and kind of throughout as well. Um, there are varying viewpoints on his work, um, specifically calling on the creation of niggers. That was addressed as well. And the way it's addressed without spoiling, I think, was very smart once you learn, once you're introduced to the characters and you see how everyone's attitude and personality uh, is, for lack of a better term, I think he Matt Ruff did a really good job at addressing something that's very controversial um, in the work of Lovecraft, as if all of it isn't, but that one in particular, especially with a book about black people. Now... He addressed them. The creations of the on the creation of niggers was a oh god it was it was addressed. <laughs> so knowing about this before and then diving into the novel, this had me a little bit nervous about reading it. I mean, it's a book about black men and women in the 1950s America, a book that deals a lot with race and racially charged situations written by a white man. That cannot be lost on me. It was written by a white man. Hello, this is Matt Ruff. I'm the author of Fool on the Hill, Set This House in Order, and Bad Monkeys. And I'm here to talk about my new novel, Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country is a supernatural historical drama set in and around Chicago in 1954 that combines pulp fiction adventure with a more serious exploration of Jim Crow era racism. The protagonist, Atticus Turner, is a 22-year-old African-American army veteran just back from fighting in Korea. And Atticus has an Uncle George who owns a travel agency and publishes the Safe Negro Travel Guide, 
which lists and reviews hotels and restaurants across the country that accept black customers. And this is inspired by actual travel guides that existed during the 1940s and 50s. Atticus and his uncle are also both huge nerds. They're uh, big science fiction and fantasy fans. And the novel tells the story of how they and their friends and family get drawn into a series of real-life weird tales. The book's title is a reference to H.P. Lovecraft, who's a famous science fiction and horror writer who's also infamous for being a white supremacist. And in my novel, there are basically two kinds of monster. Um, you get the full range of pulp fiction horrors like uh, ghosts and creatures from beyond space and time and mad scientists and sorcerers. But then there are also the more mundane terrors of 1950s era racism that frequently prove more daunting to my protagonists. And Lovecraft Country is sort of a way of, of bridging these two types of horror. So it's a reference both to the paranormal landscape that monsters come from, but also to America and America's monsters. Now, the fact that this was picked up by HBO and has a very stacked cast of beautiful, melanated individuals, that's what made me even pick up the book, even want to pick up the book to begin with. Now, I will say that I am in the middle, well, past the middle. I'm, like I said, about 75% about done with the book and a few weeks left um, to finish before the show begins. And I am pleasantly pleased with the work so far, like redundant as it may sound i'm pleasantly pleased honestly i am now the story has been an exciting thrill ride from start until now and it's a property that i knew nothing about so there was this kind of childlike excitement when flipping the page because ordinarily you go to see a movie it's specifically a marvel movie and it's like okay i know the lore i know how this should go it's it's not that same excitement as when you're learning about these things for the first time. When you first see Superman, you first see Batman, you first see Captain America, you first see the X-Men, and you're like, okay, who are these people? I gotta learn more. I don't have that feeling too often because a lot of the properties that are turned into series and movies are things that I'm kind of aware of anyway. So, and then this being a prose book versus a comic book or a graphic novel, that was a big deal as well. Now, the exciting part, of course, is that I know nothing about it. Hell, I, flipping from one page to the next, I don't, I don't even understand what I'm reading half the time. Um, I don't even know what's going to pop out or who might die or if some of these like old school terms and stuff are like a packer that gets mentioned a lot, and I'm assuming it is either a car or it is the type of car that Atticus drives. But when you read the book, this ain't no spoilers about a car. Packer is going to show up like. 400 times that's probably the one that the one word in the book that gets used the most <laughs> um but i will say while reading this not only am i enjoying the story but i'm also learning a bit more than i thought i would like uh one sidebar of an issue i have with the story or uh the one thing that keeps me reminding me that i'm reading work from a white author is his use of family in the book now, there are so many times when siblings are referred to as half-siblings. Now, I'm of two minds with this one. One, uh, black people don't normally do that. Like, of course, no one exists in a vacuum. There's no monolith. But usually black people don't consider half-siblings half-siblings. They're usually, that's my brother, that's my sister. On average, if you have a half-sibling and you're black, usually that's, like I said, just my sister or brother. We don't usually put the emphasis on half 
um, even with like God family and in-laws and found family, it's rare that you'll hear a black person say, that's my half brother. Um, they might say like, that's my God cousin or something, but even that's kind of rare. It's when you get to like kind of deep diving, like, okay, Marcus, I know you. And you say, you know, Tim is your brother, uh, you know, whatever. And then you, you get to asking probing questions and then it'll come out like, oh, no, you know, Tim's mom and my mom, best friends from way back when we grew up together. You know, that's my cousin. That's my brother. So that's the one. The second mind is that because of the way the family is handled and in its, the importance of family in the novel it can be important to make it very clear which family member is the quote unquote chosen one. And that's for lack of a better term. But the thing that immediately comes to mind to combat that is even the family that isn't the quote unquote chosen family, like the regular people, even they refer to their kin or their siblings as half siblings and such. So again, I'm being pretty cryptic because I don't want to, give away much but to kind of reiterate um i this one handling of family like reminds me that i'm reading from a white author and again for black people it's rare that you'll see half sibling whatever but to matt's credit and the story because there is a very specific story of lineage in this book it does stand to reason that, make, again, not trying to spoil anything, making sure that we understand how certain people are related so that there isn't this overwhelming light or this looming question, well, if so-and-so is the siblings, then why doesn't so-and-so also get blah, blah, redacted, whatever? So there's that, but where I would easily go with that as an explanation, but you get the people who are just normal, regular people in the book, and they also, with no mystical lineage or anything surrounding them, they also say this is my half-brother and half-sister. So that's that's something, it's not really huge, but it's, it's something that stood out to me. So, um, and it's also something that I don't really like. Um, so any of my white listeners, if you would let me know if this is normal to refer to your half-sibling as a half-sibling, or is it just as odd to you guys? Again, I do understand no one exists in a vacuum. People are different. But on average, I was like, maybe this is him being white and of a certain age that that is just... I don't know. So, like I said, listeners, white listeners specifically, or people who are in, who have mixed families, is that normal? It probably shouldn't be a big deal, but this really, like, stood out to me. Like, mm, this, thing, this, thing, this thing sitting right with me. Okay, so, now the Lovecraft portion of the story is only half of it. Well, a piece of it. Not only are these black people dealing with the mystical and Lovecraftian horrors, but the story is also set in the Jim Crow era. And for those of you who do not know, um, in the practice of Jim Crow laws mandated racial segregation in all public facilities in the state of the former Confederate States of America. And in some years beginning in the 1870s, Jim Crow laws were upheld in the 18, assuming were upheld in 1896 in the case of Plessy versus Ferguson, in which the U.S. Supreme Court laid out its separate but equal legal doctrine for facilities for African-Americans, 
public education had essentially been segregated since its establishment in most of the South after the Civil War in 1861 to 65. Now, the legal principle of separate but equal, racial segregation was extended to public facilities and transportation. This included the uh, coaches of interstate trains and buses. Facilities for African Americans were consistently inferior and underfunded compared to facilities for white Americans. Well, ha! if that doesn't sound like 2020, um, sometimes there were no facilities for the black community. Now, as a body of law, Jim Crow institutionalized economic, educational, and social disadvantages for African Americans living in the South. Jim Crow laws and Jim Crow state constitutional provisions mandated the segregation of public schools, public places, and public transportation, and the segregation of restrooms, restaurants, drinking fountains between white and black people. Bruh, within all this, the U.S. military was already segregated. Ugh. So, President Woodrow Wilson, a Southern Democrat, initiated the segregation of federal workplace in 1913. Now, we have the Lovecraftian, fantastical, magical shit of it all. But then you also have something that's not even a backdrop. Because Jim Crow is alive and well in the racial elements and issues uh, society at that time, which is still of this time is very much a character of its own in this book. So you can't even say, oh, this is a magical cross-country romp and with the backdrop of, I don't know, a natural disaster. No, this is like the racism itself is a whole fucking character in this book. And it, oh, man. So again, uh, Jim Crow laws were the state and local laws that enforced that racial segregation in southern states. Uh, these laws were enacted in the 19th and early 20th centuries by white, Democratic-dominated state legislators to disenfranchise and remove political and economic gains made by black people during the Reconstruction period. Now, some of this may seem a bit repetitive, but I feel, I feel it is imperative that you understand the weight of this fictional work and how grounded in reality it is, though on the other end, it is also grounded in this Lovecraftian. It's like, so, okay, look at it this way. We're watching a show. There are black people in the show and they're dealing with these monsters. At the same time, dealing with these fantastical, mystical monsters, you also have the very real Jim Crow segregation and racial element that is the 1950s that is jim crow and then going back to that first end yeah you got the mystical magical creatures but you have these creatures that are created in this genre in this space that's created off of a man who lived and wrote stories and had ideals that were very much informed by his racism that they're also facing on this other end it's it's this is layered so regardless to how the end result Turns out, whether people like it or not, which I'm, I'm assuming is going to be great. It can't, it can't be lost on you guys how heavy this story is, and whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. If the Jim Crow information seems to be a bit repetitive, it, it's with good reason because in the story, it, the racialness is. A whole character that you cannot escape. By nature of fucking existing, 
the book and the series it's the the it breathes right it breathes life excuse me to the racial issues that are going on at the time and parts that are still going on today so again back to the jim crow ish now these laws were enforced until 1965 which i think is very important because the book is 1950s 54 55 ish i don't know where the series is going to land like for the 10 episodes if it'll just be in one particular month a year a week i'm not sure because the book does a lot of different things so remember that the story takes place in 1954. Now it can't be a coincidence that Matt Ruff set the story in that year. I say that because in 1954, segregation of public schools, state-sponsored anyways, was declared unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court under Chief Justice Earl Warren. Um, in this landmark case, Brown versus the Board of Education, in some states, it took many years to implement this decision, while the Warren Court continued to rule against the Jim Crow laws in other cases, such as Heart of Atlanta, Motel um, versus United States. That's in 1964. Now, generally, the remaining Jim Crow laws were overruled by the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. So, again, for the story to be set in 1950s, specifically 54, 55-ish, for it to be set there, I, I just, for it, for this to be so um, rooted in, in American history and the Lovecraftian supernatural of it all, it has to be intentional that this story is happening in 1954, that it begins in 1954. Now, um, though it's fiction, the historical fiction does capture a bit, well, not a bit, a lot of the black American experience today and what it has been for decades and longer. Uh, we see that in the HBO series, some of the names have been changed from their uh book counterparts like Atticus's name now seems to be Atticus Black where in the book it is Turner Montrose and Uncle George have the same last name of Freeman in the series but in the book their names were Barry and Turner respectively Leticia's name in the show is Lewis but in the book it's Dandridge um, those are but a few changes that I've noticed like right off the bat while reading it I'm assuming that's because George and Montrose share the same last name in the show. Maybe they will be just brothers instead of half-brothers. Again, when I was mentioning earlier about half-siblings and focusing on the half of it all, George and Montrose in the book are half-siblings. They're not full-blood siblings, I guess. So um, that small detail kind of has me wondering, like, what other changes is Misha Green and the team going to make from the book? And that's partly the reason why I wanted to even read the book. So initially, I was going to just watch the series and then read the book. And I was like, well, you know, things change. Like, yeah, you can get a beat-for-beat beat story being retold, but then a lot of times people will make creative changes in the live action, not just to, um, not to upset the audience, but because you don't, I don't think you always want to just see on the screen what you saw on the page. Sometimes you want to move some stuff around a bit and they have more license to do so because you're coming from a written work that is not comic visual and you're putting it to this visual live action work. Now, speaking of all that, let's get into this cast. Journey Smollett-Bell as Letty Dandridge. Jonathan Majors as Atticus Black, which, mm, phenomenal casting, I think. Anjanu Ellis as Hippolyta black atticus's aunt and a stargazer with an itch for adventure 
Abby Lee as Christina Braithwaite, the sole daughter of the leader of the secret order known as the Sons of Adam. Jada Harris as Diana Black. This name I don't know how to pronounce, so forgive me. It's W-U-N-M-I Masaku as Ruby Dandridge, Letty's half-sister. She's a hustler. Michael Kenneth Williams as Montrose Freeman, Atticus's hard-headed and secretive father. And that's the main cast. So the reoccurring, we got Courtney B. Vance. As George Black, Atticus's warm, funny, and well-read uncle. We have Jamie Harris as Eustace Hunt, the county sheriff. Jamie Chung as G.I., a seemingly naive nursing student who is more than what she seems. Jordan Patrick Smith as William, that's Christina's henchman and lover. Jamin Newman as Hillary, excuse me, Jamie Newman. Um, Erica Tazel as Dora Freeman, Mac Brandt as Lancaster, Tony Goldwyn as Samuel Braithwaite, the patriarch of his family. Now, initially, I had my reservations about reading the book before the series. Um, I would effectively be reading through a big, like, 400-page spoiler, but then I was like, it would save... <clears throat> I would save the book for reading into the last episode, but then I thought, you know, well, fuck it, you know, things might change in live action, and so let me read the book so that I can really appreciate any changes firsthand that they might make in the series. Now, the biggest drawback for me, well, it's not really even a drawback, it's just uh, something that I kind of realized that I cannot separate the characters in the book from the actors portraying them on screen. So, going into the book, since I ordered my copy as soon as I watched the trailers, I can only see Journey Smollett when I'm reading Letty. She's a main character. She shows up a lot. But instead of my mind creating an image of this girl, I just see Journey Smollett, no matter what. Um, if I got a hold of the book, I would have probably had my own little version of what she looked like, of her and Atticus and George and Montrose, all that. But I can't do that now. Because I saw the trailer, which, you know, happens. Now, also, while reading through the book, I am pulling the corresponding scenes from the trailer into the story, which I guess is a good thing. So I can more vividly see the vision of the author and the creative team. But the same issue that I had before is I wonder what this world would look like in my own head if I had a chance to read the book before the HBO series announcement and before the trailers drop. Like, so it's, it's, it's not really a issue, but it's something that, uh, it, I, it, it gives me pause. I'm wondering. <laughs> okay. So, but in the grand scheme of things, that's really a very small price to pay. Now the trailer doesn't show nearly any of what actually goes on in the book and things will be changed from the source material to make way for the uh, HBO story that they want to tell. So I'm really not too heartbroken about this. Now, the carefree black nerd Atticus is a Korean war vet who has always had a pulp, no pulp novel <laughs> in his back pocket. And he wears his heart on his sleeve despite the daily injustices of living in Jim Crow America. His father Montrose, however, is a hard-headed and secretive and always believed you can't live in a fantasy world making him less than thrilled about his son's love for pulp novels. So, like, science fiction and current novels of the time, like the, the quote-unquote greats. It's Atticus's uncle who always been more like a father to him, warm, funny, and well-read. He wants the first, he wants, excuse me, he was the first to introduce Atticus to the wonderful and strange world of these novels. 
as the publisher of the Safe Negro Travel Guide, he's been on enough adventures to understand there's no place like home. Then we have Letty. She's hustled her way across the country as an artist protesting for civil rights and now finds herself back home to plant some roots. Now this part is something I think was changed. Okay. Now I am sure that this differs in the book. Without spoiling anything, I feel like she came home for a different reason. Her half-sister, Ruby, is also a hustler, but her hustles haven't paid off. Her family ties are tested when she's presented with an offer that she can't refuse. Which, bruh, I just read through her off her offer and the shit is wild. Um, Hippolyta Freeman is a stargazer who's been a housewife for most of her life, but has dreams of getting into some adventures of her own. Her itch for adventure will eventually, literally, and figuratively take her to the stars and beyond. I will say her portion of the book, for a while I was like unhappy with what I was reading. And I got to a point where things started to make sense. And it was like, oh, if you had to just trusted the story like you have done all this time, you you would have, you would have, it would have paid off. You wouldn't have been upset. Um... Eustace Hunt uh, is a Sundown County Sheriff with an NAACP complaint file a mile long <laughs> and a Marine tattoo on the back of his neck so the enemy has something to aim at. There's <laughs> a lot of shit like that in here. Now, I will say that the team has enough material for two seasons with this book, but I can also see them doing most of, if not all, in one season if they really wanted to. Now, at the time of this recording, I am only a quarter of the what? Quarter. Uh, 75%. <laughs> complete with the book so some of the details are rather new to me um they could be brand new to the show again not to spoil anything i'll i'll keep quiet but know this listeners i have a book club coming up and that episode will be all spoilers so those of you under the sound of my voice who want to participate use that hashtag cbn book club lovecraft country now, while you're going to read along to Lovecraft Country, more than likely I'll be doing an episode or two on the novel, maybe a live stream, something like that. Um, with the show premiering on Sunday, August 16th, 2020, the book club will more than likely be around that time. I'll try to kind of keep up on social medias or maybe release something that says specifically. So, for those of you listening, if you've gotten this far, there is a CBN book club. And the first book will be Lovecraft Country. I understand that August 16th is kind of right around the corner. So, for you guys who are going to uh, read the book and participate in the book club hashtag, pick it up. I'm nothing set in stone at the moment, but I think because I'll also be doing a review of the series, I think we'll... We'll work that out. Just start reading <laughs> and use that hashtag and let me know your thoughts on where you are in a book and any questions, comments, concerns, or whatnot. And I'll try to start posting under that hashtag as well because I do want to make this a group project. Let's discuss. <laughs> CBN Book Club. Now, continuing on with the cast, we have Christina Braithwaite. Um, she is the daughter of the leader of the Secret Order, calling themselves the Sons of Adam. She's gone to great lengths to earn her father's respect, but to no avail, she's going to pave her own path to power and use Atticus and his family to do it. Is Christina's henchman, lover, bodyguard, spy, or whatever else she may need for him to be? The blonde-haired, blue-eyed, he's the perfect specimen for the Aryan race. 
Which, man, I'm so interested to see how they incorporate the actual racism of the Lovecraft um, ideologies and whatnot into the story. Man, so this is going to be a 10-episode series. The episodes titled at the time of this recording are A History of Violence, Full Circle, Holy Ghost, I Am, Jigaboo, Lovecraft Country, Meet Me in the Daegu, Rewind 1921, Strange Case, and Whitey's on the Moon. So, those are the working 10-episode titles as it stands today. So, to answer some frequently asked questions about the novel, um, first of all, a lot of people want to know, uh, is this set in the mythos, the Lovecraftian fictional universe, and do I need to know anything about H.P. Lovecraft or his stories in order to understand what's going on? And the answer to these questions is no. While there are supernatural things in the novel, and, and some of them may remind you of things that you would encounter in Lovecraft, um, Cthulhu does not appear. And uh, if you don't know who Cthulhu is, don't worry, the novel tells you everything you need to know. Another question, how scary is it? Um, maybe you're intrigued by the science fiction fantasy stuff or the, the history, but you're not so sure about the horror aspect. Um, so the first thing you should know, Lovecraft Country, there is not a lot of gore in the novel. Um, the horror is mostly of the, the creeping dread variety, where you're in a place where you know you don't belong and you're waiting for something bad to happen, and then, you know, oh my god, the bad thing is happening. Um, and obviously people's tastes vary, but I've talked to enough readers now that this is a novel that tends to appeal to people who don't ordinarily like horror. So I would call it scary, but not too scary. A final question. Uh, this is a story about racism, and I, I think some people may be wondering, especially with everything that's going on in the news today, do I really want to read a novel about that when I, I can just turn on C-SPAN? Um, you know, won't this just depress me? And my answer to that is that in Lovecraft Country, I, I try to be honest and straightforward about the challenges that African Americans faced in the 1950s, and in many cases still today. But this is not a novel about suffering. This is a novel about ordinary Americans just trying to make it through the day safe and sane and morally upright. So there are some scary moments. There are some heartbreaking moments. Um, there are injustices that may make your blood boil. Um, but there's also courage and heroism and ingenuity and even some laughs. And... Um, I, I think in the end, you will be left more hopeful than despairing. Uh, now, getting into a bit of symbols and symbolism. Now, there's magical organizations in this book. The various organizations symbolize the use of power and privilege by white people to perpetuate dynamics of social oppression. The members of the magical order are all white, wealthy, and powerful. They view black people as expendable. Thus, the dynamics of magic and its use and parallels of the dynamics of social oppression experienced by black Americans, which I say that is, oh my God, that explains it perfectly. The Safe Negro Travel Guide. This guide symbolizes the ubiquity of race oppression in the United States. The guide itself serves to mark places where black people are less likely to be persecuted, harassed, or denied services by businesses. Thus, the guide highlights the overwhelming presence and horror of racial oppression. The very fact that it exists 
highlights the overwhelming presence and horror of racial oppression. Again, racism is a character, a full-blown character in this goddamn story. Now, Caleb's mark is a mark of protection. It symbolizes white privilege. Uh, he bears a magical mark that he has placed on himself to give himself protection from harm. This immunity to harm parallels that idea. Racial prejudice. One of the most salient thematic elements of the novel is the way in which it explores and illustrates racial prejudice. The novel consistently focuses on the immortality and the injustice of such prejudice. The main character's experiences add further emotional weight to these ideas. The idea is established very early in the novel, like very early in the first few pages. Um, there is a point in which I'm not going to get into again, trying to avoid spoilers, but the main character experienced several things rather early. Uh, Chicago. Much of the novel takes place in Chicago, Illinois, which has a large black population and a history of heavy racial segregation. Atticus lives on the south side of Chicago, as do his friends and family. Although Chicago did not have Jim Crow laws like the American South, the novel does demonstrate how Chicago and pretty much the rest of the country still has a history of racial oppression and segregation. And I like that because once you, if you read through the first couple pages and you get that Jim Crow-ness, and then once you get to the Chicago portions, it's still that lingering feeling. You can tell there's a difference, but one informs the other. It's not as... Again, I just don't want to be, I don't want to spoil. Um, let's see. Now, so the novel's narration is written in the past tense and in the third person. At any given time, the scope of the narration is limited to one given character's perspective. Each of the novel's chapters adheres to a specific character uh, perspective throughout. For example, the first chapter is told through Atticus's perspective. I'll leave it there again as not to spoil anything. But this narrative choice does allow the novel to explore the different manifestations of racial oppression faced by each character while also maintaining a very consistent perspective throughout each and every chapter. Now, ultimately, the novel does function to stimulate the horror, fear, and danger that is racial oppression and that it creates in the lives of those oppressed persons, those minorities. Um, all of the book's point of view characters are black. Thus, the reader is given direct insights into their hardships and racial injustices. Uh, let's see. There is there's a few more things, and I'm going to just actually leave them off the list because I do not want to spoil anything. So, I'm very excited for this series. Like I said, we have the CBN Book Club, and we'll start off with Lovecraft Country. Um, I think I mentioned it already, but just to make it clear and official, there will be a Carefree Black Nerd Review over Lovecraft Country. Make sure to use that hashtag Lovecraft Aftermath. <laughs> that is the official title. Or LCC Pod. Lovecraft Country Pod. This will be me exploring this show. Um, this novel. The way that they differ. The elements. The themes. The visuals. The aesthetics. The cinematography. The acting. The wardrobe choices, the music. I want to get into all of that. So for those of you guys who want to follow along, please use the hashtag CBN Book Club and then use, you know, Lovecraft and kind of tweet to me there so we can keep this a conversation, like I always say, but let's make this book club happen. I do maybe want to do like a Zoom or a, a streaming type of um, 
book club. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. But Lovecraft Aftermath is the official title for the Lovecraft Country CBN review. So check out check out for that. Look forward to that. And if you are well versed in this Lovecraftian or even just literature and you want to come on the show, you want to contribute maybe a voice memo or something, let me know. Um, email me, carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. I will gladly have some folks on the show because this is one show that I really want to dive into, go from start to finish, and make this be a constant conversation. Um, I think this show came right on time with the pandemic and with the state of the world now and with the racial shit that's going on. It has been going on forever in a day in a way that, Things are unfolding. I think this is a perfect show, much like when Watchmen came out. It was like, it, though two different properties, they feel very much tied to one another. Um, yeah, so again, I'm uh, Rain Coleman, the Carefree Black Nerd. Hit me up on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. Uh, all other social medias, Carefree Black Nerd. Uh, email carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Use that hashtag. Lovecraft Aftermath, once we start the actual review for the Lovecraft Country on HBO, August 16th. Um, use CBN Book Club if you're going to read along with me and join in the conversation. and um, Or LCC Pod, all of that. But use those hashtags, y'all. Let me know what are your thoughts. Uh, how you feeling? Is this something that interests you? Um, again, I know... It, I, might be a little bit short notice for some, but you know, with this with the show coming up soon. Um, but let me know, let me know what y'all think about the show, what you think about the book, and uh, keep this conversation going. So, all that being said, thank you all for listening in. I uh, appreciate every last one of you. Please use those hashtags, please hit me up, uh, comment in the comments, hit me up on Twitter. And until next time, y'all, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky. And please stay safe in this Jim Crow America 2020. What's that book you've been reading about? It's about heroes who get to go on adventures, defeat the monsters, and save the day. Little boy from the south side of Chicago, the only tourist that get to do that. This story is about my father and the secret birthright that's been kept from us. You're going after it. We're going near the car. He's gonna stand there, Tick. This is family business. Can family stay together? Bad for my scared for myself. Just because they don't want you here doesn't mean you're not supposed to be. I gotta get away. This is an invitation. Unmitigated hell. Where in the hell did I go wrong with you, boy? I told you to stay away from that damn place. There's something here. Just trying to get out. Everything is where and as it should be. From God to man to creature. Surrounded by monsters. I'm doing this to protect us. You can't win this game. They set enough for you to play. This legacy belongs to our family. We gotta face this new world. Instinct, I'm claiming it.
this is our family story. 